Welcome to the Big Presentations Podcast, where we offer encouragement and guidance to those who make big presentations in small rooms. We believe that properly focused practice and preparation result in effective communications. I'm your host, Paul Gibson. Let's get started. Today, we're talking about questions to discover audience benefit, a.k.a. what is your audience going to get out of all this? We're going to get into that right now with Mike and our core content. As you prepare for a big presentation in a small room, you identified your hope and articulated your presentation goal. You learned who will be there. The next step is to discover the audience benefit. Why? Because people naturally focus on their own best interests. Acknowledge this truth, but do not be frustrated by it. After all, the presentation goal may serve your personal best interest. People have needs and desires. This is true for you and your audience. Instead of being frustrated by this reality, discover the places where the interests overlap. Identify the common ground and focus on it from their perspective. Here are five questions to discover audience benefit. When discovering their best interest, ask questions like, how could this plan reduce stress? How could it save money? How could it save time? How could it make them look good? How could it set them up for future successes? Let's focus on one of these, the one about lowering stress. Lower stress is a powerful audience benefit. How can your idea alleviate stress? Consider the following situation. Your presentation goal is to increase the supply budget for your project by $15,000. You realize that this increase will allow you to finish the project on time, and that time saved will result in over $15,000 worth of productivity increase in the IT department. It will also lower their stress considerably. If you highlight these facts during the presentation, you're more likely to win the support of the IT department. It will also be meaningful for the finance department, which is concerned about the budget of IT. So by focusing on the savings and the decreased stress levels, you address what's in their best interest. By helping you, they're helping themselves. Win-win. Whenever possible, think win-win and draw attention to the win that benefits them. Spotlight the win that benefits them. This might involve money, time, reputation, or future success. It might include a lower stress level for everyone involved, including yourself. Remember, focus on audience benefit. Focus on win-win, especially the win that benefits them. Very good stuff, and we're going to jump into that in just a couple of minutes. But first, Mike, last week we had a bit of a different episode because we had a third person in this here podcast, which of course meant that it looked and sounded a little bit different. But what high points do you want to look back on and highlight today? We had such a great time listening in on that conversation with Brett Logan. We were able to listen as he thought through the elements he would want to include in a presentation to be delivered to a networking group. So he properly focused on story. He was able to think about how his work meets real needs of people. He was able to to identify the audience benefit of the services that he provides. Uh, he was able to think in terms of prioritizing audience members and and making sure that whatever visuals that he used would be ones that that highlight 
the elements uh, of his business that involve like products, cameras and things like that. And so we, we just were able to learn from the process along with him as he developed his big presentation for a small room. Very good. Well, we're going to get into the benefits for your audience, specifically the five questions you need to ask to discover the audience benefit for the people who you're going to be presenting to coming up in just a minute. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Paul here taking a quick break to tell you about my other podcast. It's Life While Parenting. My wife, Sarah, and I get into all of the fun and not so fun stuff of parenting. Everything from the pandemic to dealing with parenting while having a complete and utter lack of sleep and everything in between. But if that wasn't enough, we'll also get into more fun things like stuff we wish we had known before we had our second kid and the hip lingo that kids are slinging these days. So make sure you join us every Wednesday for a fresh episode of Life While Parenting wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back and we're just going to get into the meat of this. Let's get started. There's this common frustration that's just a part of the American experience. Here, here it is. The common frustration is having a friend reclassify you as a potential customer or, or thinking that someone was interested in you when actually they were only interested in selling something to you. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. <laughs> oh, yes. I've had friends do this to me before. It's, it's not great. It's not a good feeling when you hear that somebody, you know, think of a person in your mind, anybody who you know, who you've met recently, and then you meet them and then you find out that they're selling insert product that you don't want here. <laughs> what do most people think when this happened? They don't go, oh, great. I've been wanting to buy that thing, you know, which is great because most of the time this is something that you can probably buy a different version of anywhere. But oh, great. They're selling that thing, which is usually more expensive. <laughs> Right, yeah. I yeah. want to buy that thing from that person. And you know, and that that does happen sometimes. People are excited that a friend is selling something because they're really into that specific product. I've seen that happen. I haven't. But more often <laughs> more often people think, oh great, now I think I just want to avoid them. Mm-hmm. Why? Why is that? Well, the answer lies in today's topic. Today, today we're talking about audience benefit. And in that core content, we were encouraged to recognize that that everyone in a presentation, including the presenter, has needs and desires. That's a given. This isn't something to complain about. It's simply something to be understood and taken into account as you create and deliver your presentation. If you can address the audience's needs and desires, your chances of success will be much higher. Now, fortunately, there are five questions that can help us discover audience benefit. Okay. So now if I'm remembering correctly, the first one is how can this plan reduce stress? Yes. Yes. So, so stress is an, it's an ongoing problem for many people, both at work and at home. So if your proposal can lower stress in either place, it will be appreciated. Now, stress is an umbrella concept. It, it covers, really, it, it touches on all the other questions. So, so we'll address all the other questions and then come back to this one. Okay, so we're going to skip ahead to number two, as it were, right. and talk about how could it save money. And just speaking yeah, yeah. for myself, I feel like everybody wants to do that. 
That's true. Yeah. And it's the same thing with organizations. They have limited resources. So they're looking for ways to leverage those resources in ways that are going to increase their profitability or, or their effectiveness. So when your ideas support either or both of those objectives, you know, increasing pro, uh, profitability or effectiveness, there will likely be people in the audience who appreciate it. Okay, so imagine the appreciation for a person who proposed the idea of changing the way shopping bags are purchased. Now, this is what one would think would be a small change, but it's going to save Walmart, say, $60 million every year. And and we have uh, a link to the story about this. So if you want to know more about how just a shopping bag decision could save $60 million a year, then check out the show notes because we're going to put the link to that story in there if you want to learn more about that. Little changes, but man, you know, in, in that company headquarters, you know, someone was getting a pat on the back because they'd save that much money by just thinking about different ways to do things. All right. So in a small way, uh, I was able to experience this. I was working on some product development for a company, and we would develop an, an entire product set. Uh, but really, most of the time, only three-fourths of that product set was ever purchased by customers. But we would develop the whole thing. And so I, I suggested, why don't we just not develop this one piece of it unless it is specifically requested by the customer? Because we can get by without it. And it saves a big chunk because it was the most time consuming element of the whole product package. So we saved all of that development cost simply by putting on a, on hold until it was requested. And they were appreciative because it, it saved that money. Fantastic. I like that. And that reminds me of something just in this moment that is kind of similar in that idea that I feel like revolutionized a completely different industry. And that is the idea of t-shirts because okay. I have sold t-shirts that I've designed before that were print on demand. There are several companies online that will do this and they don't make it until somebody orders it. So you're not having to hold inventory. You're not having to shell out money out of a pocket ahead of time for something that you don't know whether or not it will sell, but they handle everything. And all you do is upload the design and then they take the amount of money that they want to get off of each shirt, which is predetermined. And then you say how much you want to get above that. And then they just print it when it's made. And it completely changed the idea of who could have merchandise in the form of a T-shirt, right. which I think is really yeah. cool. That's perfect. And that's that's the way it is with my book in print. I mean, there was a time where if you were going to sell books in print, you had to buy boxes of them and then hope that you would sell them so your garage wouldn't be full of these boxes of books. Well, now it's print on demand. I don't have to keep anything in my garage. It's just when they order it, it's printed. And that saves me a lot of money and, you know, cuts down on my risk as well. That's great. And that's so true. And it's amazing, those little differences. And, and speaking of little differences, when we first started discussing this discussion, uh, I was remembering a story I'd heard and I had to look it up, but then I found it. American Airlines 30 years ago made a really crazy discovery. They figured out that taking one olive from each passenger salad, that means one olive less per salad plate was going to save them 40 grand annually. <laughs> Whoa. One olive. Yeah. One olive. Man. That's a lot of airline tickets sold. Am I right? Yeah. I mean, think of how much more business they would have had to have done to make up for just not giving somebody an olive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what if, what if you listener, if you're the one who brings an idea that had that 
created savings both for now and the future? What if your idea helped extend the life of the equipment of your organization? What if your concept cuts utility costs? What if you're the person who can see those small changes that make a big difference over the long term? Saving money is a common audience benefit. And of course, another thing that everybody wants besides just money is time. So the next question is, how can it save time? In 1967, there was a celebrated guy named uh, Herman Kahn. He was a futurist, and he predicted that Americans would enjoy 13 weeks of vacation and a four-day work week. The challenge, though, it seemed, would be figuring out what to do with all the free time. It sounds great. (laughs) I could deal with that. I'm sure I can figure something out. Now, Kahn, of course, was wrong. Um, Today, Americans work more hours each year than they did in 1970. And instead of 13 weeks vacation, the average American now gets about four. Now, that if you're thinking, I don't get four weeks of vacation because I don't, that includes Uh, just holidays. So, like, if you get Christmas Day and Christmas Eve off, that's going towards that four-week total. So, aside from that, yeah, I mean, he obviously didn't get it right, but uh, the idea of being able to get the same amount of work done in that amount of time sounds pretty stinking glorious. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> yes. And if you want to learn more about that, we'll drop that link as well in our in our show notes. So it was thought that this reduction would happen due to time-saving technologies and processes. But what happened instead? The expectations simply increased. Oh, you can do all of that faster now, so let me give you more stuff to do. This is an interesting subject to talk about because we're we're thinking both in terms of time expectations, which are attached to a lot of jobs now, the nine to five, uh, and there are expectations regarding productivity, what you do during that time. And sometimes those expectations have to do with products or processes or checklists or whatever. This reminds me of an experience I had doing a big presentation in a small group. I was I was talking to a a group of employees about working with different generations. So there's multiple generations in the room. We're talking about the strengths and weaknesses of each generation, what they bring to the table, how we can best cooperate across all of these generations. So when we were talking about the youngest generation in the room, we we talked about you know, being tech savvy and how some time can be saved. But there's this issue that I just mentioned, like there's this nine to five issue versus productivity issue. And this one young guy decides to speak up and tell his story. And he's looking around the room. You can tell he's kind of defensive. Eyebrows are kind of up, you know, and he and he starts saying, just acknowledging, I know some of you guys are frustrated with me because I show up for work late every day. I do. I show up for work late every day. But you know, and I know, that I get more work done by noon than my predecessor got done all day. And there were a lot of glares shot in his direction, but nobody (laughs) argued with him because he was right. So we got this issue of, of time that it's, you know, it's kind of a tricky subject. What are we saving time for? More work? Different work? Is... Is that different work beneficial to the audience members? Like if they're thinking in terms of this is saving me time, okay, is that really a benefit? Or would they rather keep doing things the old way because the old way was easy and comfortable and took up the time that they had to spend at work anyway? Oh, man, that is that's tough. (laughs) Oh, man. So you got to be careful about addressing time savings. Seek 
to approach it in a way that is beneficial in the eyes of your audience. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, audience perspectives are going to be different. And to be able to make something that is beneficial for everybody in the audience, for the young guy who shows up late but gets more done than everybody else, or the old yeah. guy who's who's slogging it out eight hours a day, never late at all, but maybe he's not as overall productive – that's a fine line to walk to be able to get everybody on board with an idea when everybody has very drastically different perspectives. Yeah, you're right. Because, you know, as you were saying, someone may listen to the idea and think, oh, good, this saves me time because there's so much more I want to get done. While someone else is saying, man, if you save me this time, they're going to make me do something else I don't want to do. Now, it's not your job to fix that problem. But it is wise if you can recognize that that problem may be influencing their buy-in to your idea. Very true. <laughs> because it does kind of seem like with that situation, if you didn't realize that, all of a sudden you've made the best presentation ever. You've told them how this is going to save them four hours a day. And the people who have been there for a long time looking at you and go, yeah, not interested. <laughs> Like, what? How could you not be interested? <laughs> like, didn't you hear me? You're leaving four hours early. Oh, wait, maybe not. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. man. Well, we're going to get into more of this. We've made it through the three first questions. Uh, we've done reduce stress, save money, save time. And we're going to get into the next two in just a minute. Hang with us. We'll be right back. Now, whether you are a small business owner or you work as a part of a large corporation or you're involved in some type of municipal work or, or nonprofit work, there is a resource that can be helpful for you. Big presentations in small rooms, the book, you can get it in ebook format, uh, you can get it in print, or you can get the audio version. Man, I would suggest that you pick it up and learn from the, the years of experience uh, and the good research that's out there regarding giving big presentations in small rooms. And one more thing, when you get that book and are able to, to be helped by it, be sure to leave a review for it. That, that allows other people to see the quality of the product. So once again, get big presentations in small rooms from Amazon today. And we're back. We are about to get back into the topic of discovering audience benefits, specifically five questions that help you do that. We've already been over reducing stress, that's the first question that you need to help them answer. Save money. How is it going to save them money? And lastly, how is it going to save them time? So now we're going to move on to number four. How can it make them look good? Because one thing has not changed over the decades. We're all a little bit vain. We want to look good. And the people in your audience want to look good too. Yeah, I mean, maybe some exceptions. I'm just kidding. No, everybody wants to look good. <laughs> That's just the way it works. Now, it's not a bad thing, especially when it's well-deserved. Now, if your ideas increase the work quality of those in your audience, well, then you're helping them to achieve impressive things that will help them appreciate you, which is great. Now, just as an example, there is a player who is really popular when I was in high school who I think anybody in the NBA would have killed to have this one guy on their team. And it wasn't Michael Jordan, although he played the same time as Michael Jordan. This guy's name is John Stockton. Now, John Stockton didn't get the same kind of recognition that Jordan did, but John Stockton was a key player to any team he was on because he had 15,806 career assists. Now, if you're not a basketball person, what that means is 
he passed the ball in a way that went to the guy who then made the basket immediately after getting the ball. That means he didn't get the glory of sinking the shot. He saw the guy who was going to make the shot and got the ball to them so they could get the job done. That isn't the sexy job on the team, but that is getting the job done. And that led to so many wins for the teams that he was on because he was willing to say, I could probably make this, but I'm going to get it to that guy over there because I know he can get it. Yes. People loved having him on their team because he made them look good. That's right. So when you're presenting to an audience that includes people who like are above you in the organizational structure, be humble about the ideas you bring to the table and be realistic about the idea of credit. This is a tough thing to wrap our brains around, but one of the best ways to move an idea forward is to achieve buy-in from the audience. When your idea becomes their idea, they're more likely to pursue it. And of course, they're also more likely to take credit for it. Now, that first thing feels good, but the second thing can be frustrating. It feels good to see progress made. It's frustrating to see other people taking credit for it. Now, I mean, I, I can speak to that tension from my own experience. There there have been times when I pushed for an idea to become a reality, and it took three to five years for those ideas to be accepted and implemented. And when it finally happened, it was because the decision makers owned it and naturally took credit for it. <laughs> now, perhaps this experience sounds familiar uh, to you listening right now. And if it does, number one, I'm sorry. But that's the way it goes, <laughs> at least sometimes. Not all the time, but sometimes that's the way it goes down. Now, we can complain about the credit or we can rejoice in knowing that progress has been made and is moving forward. And even if somebody else is getting the glory for it, you know deep down it was your idea. And that feels pretty good. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. Sometimes you just want to sit back and go, that's right asking yeah, it because idea. that was my idea <laughs> <laughs> and if you're the only person who knows it that's enough that's enough because especially if it's an idea that is checking some of those other boxes that affect you maybe it is mm. saving you time and you stress and you money oh, there hey you go. that's yeah. a big deal yeah and there may be some people in leadership who they might not admit it but they know it and you are their john stockton they want to keep you around because you make them look good. That's right. That's right. Okay, so let's move on to number five. How could it set them up for future successes? How is this going to help them down the road? Yeah, yeah. So this question is especially important when your proposal requires short-term sacrifice. Now, in the core content, there was an example of a funding request. That was a short-term sacrifice. And if that short-term sacrifice pays off in the future, well, then it's worth considering. That's why the presenter should clarify, make sure the audience knows how an investment will pay off. How can your idea create a better future for the audience? Don't assume that they're going to connect the dots. They might, and it's good if they do. But if they do not, you must ensure that that connection is made. 
Yeah, for sure. I have been in situations where someone connected the dots for me, and ultimately I was grateful for it. Now, I didn't fully understand in the moment how the idea would help me down the road until someone made it really clear to me. And this one is kind of a, an odd example maybe for, for some people, uh, and pro- maybe even for most of you, I don't know, but uh, this was the most recent thing that came to mind when talking about this. Uh, just recently, my wife and I started teaching a class on how to use this specific program to record and edit audio exactly like I do for this podcast, which is is a lot of fun. And towards that end, we were brushing up on some of our skills, and I watched a video of this guy who that's all he does is he does these tutorial videos on this specific program. And there were several key functions that had been introduced a, a few years ago to this program that I didn't know existed. And they were huge time savers for me. And over the course of editing this podcast and the other podcasts that I edit as well, uh, it has saved me oodles of time, which is great going forward because it is just a constant renewing benefit. Because every time I use it, I'm like, yep, that saved me like 15 minutes. Ooh, and I yeah. grin a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so so how would how would you have felt if a person maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, would have brought this information to you? Oh, well, uh, look, knowing what I know now, there would be hugs involved. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Now now this, this concept is, has happened repeatedly in financial matters, you know, where a friend might say to you, if you approach it this way, then here's what could happen. Oh, here, here's, here's a good example. When we moved to Fort Worth and we bought a house, we had a 30 year mortgage. Now, later, within a year and a half, interest rates went down enough that refinancing to a 15-year mortgage would not have significantly increased our monthly payments. So when a friend told me about this and about the savings of having to pay 15 years versus 30 years, I was so thankful. It was a massive future benefit. I was so, so grateful that they shared that information with me. I bet so. (laughs) I bet so. And it's amazing how little pieces of knowledge like that can make a huge difference. And that huge difference is that long-term ongoing benefit. And whenever you can come up with something that is going to save somebody money or time in perpetuity, where it's just going to continue to be a help, then that's hard to beat. Yeah, that's true. And you know, it, it, as we said earlier, you need to make sure it's clear what's going on, especially when there's short-term sacrifice. Because what happens for a lot of people, it happened, it happened for us as well. You know, we had to pay an extra $100 a month or something on our mortgage payment, which thankfully we were able to do at that time. Um, but that extra $100 a month was going to be nothing compared to not having to make that payment at all for 15 years. <laughs> when our time frame was cut it cut in half. Now, if someone would have just come up to me and said, "Hey, you know, you could approach your mortgage different in, in a way that you know cost you an extra hundred bucks a month," <laughs> why would I do that? <laughs> and if there was no connecting of the dots, I would not have been interested. But when the dots were connected, then that short term sacrifice was something I was glad to take on because of that long term gain. So when you are presenting. If you're calling for a short-term sacrifice, make sure you're spelling out how it is worth it for them in the long run. 
Right. This is one other example that just floated into my mind, and we we may end up cutting this, which is fine too. But uh, talking about things being short term versus long term, almost any time I've gotten a repair done on my car, it's because they were like, "Well, I understand that this is going to cost you. I don't know. They're going to throw out a figure, five hundred dollars, and it and it sucks to pay five hundred dollars right now to fix this. But if you don't fix it, when this thing breaks, it's going to break this other thing, which is going to break this other thing, and then you're going to pay fifteen hundred dollars. And the only thing you've done is put off that time frame, and you wouldn't have to replace those other two pieces yes. or parts yes. if you just did this one. <laughs> right. Yes. Perfect. And well, the situation I'm in right now. If if you're watching this. Uh, if you're watching video of this, you'll see that I am sweating and I keep wiping sweat off of my face uh, because our air conditioner is turned off. The reason our air conditioner is turned off is because it's low on Freon. Now, I would be a lot more comfortable if I just pushed it and tried to run it on low Freon. I could True. do that and it would be saving me the cost of having somebody come and you know top off the Freon. But if I do that, there's a likelihood it could destroy my unit. Well, then I'm having to buy a whole unit. So I was able to look up some information and learn that I need to shut it down until I can get it refilled. And that short term cost of getting it refilled is going to mean that I don't have to replace the entire unit. And I was able to connect those dots like Paul was able to connect the dots with the, the car repair. And hopefully your audience can connect the dots of knowing this short term sacrifice is going to pay off in the long term. Fantastic. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. So we're okay. going to return to the concept of stress because we said we were going to come back to it and yep. we're not liars. So, you know, we're going to do we that. <laughs> so that was our first question, right? So it was, how can this reduce stress? Well, you can see how the other questions are related to stress, right? Because think about things that bring you stress in your life. Are they related to money? Are they related to time? How you feel about yourself? Or maybe potential future events. Now that's something to connect the dots on, because if you can relieve stress in any of those areas, then you're reducing stress overall, because almost every one of those is something that triggers stress in a marriage in your life in your business, whatever it is. If you're thinking about those things and it's not positive thoughts, you're stressing out. So deliver ideas that can help in those areas. And you're going to reduce the stress for your audience. And you'll be discovering that audience benefit. And that is huge. Yes. Also, at the beginning of the episode, we talked about the frustration of being reclassified from friend to customer. That's frustrating because the friends are often only focused on self-serving benefits, even when the language and the sales approach tries to create a different story. Now, especially if, if you realize that the products and services are ones you could obtain at an equal or lesser price through other avenues. So this means that the only the only reason to buy it through this person is to help that person. There's minimal benefit for you. It's mostly for them. Now, this, of course, is not always true, but it has happened enough to make us wary. So your job as a presenter is to focus on the audience benefit, real benefits that will reduce stress, save money, save time, improve reputation and make the future better than the present. So the key to this is to look for the overlap between your benefits and theirs. Find that common ground. That's where the mutual win is. And when you can find those win-win situations, that's what you need to have been looking for all along. When you speak, don't focus on it from your perspective. Spotlight the wins that benefit your audience. 
Good. Yeah. This puts you on the path toward a valuable reputation. When you're seen as the person who brings helpful information and well thought out ideas, meaning when you are seen as someone who reduces their stress by saving them money or time or improving their reputation or setting them up for future successes, then they will be happy to see you and eager to listen to you because you're the one who makes the big presentations in small rooms. We're so happy that you're listening to this podcast. Give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever the equivalent thumbs up is on your favorite podcasting platform. We so appreciate you. And now we're going to get back to the show.